0: Okay, as we, uh, the majority of us probably already know, uh, the General Conference for the United Methodist Church will be coming up in May. And so uh, the biggest thing that they'll be talking about this year is, uh, it's back, uh, back on the issue of homosexual and same-sex marriage. So that will be the biggest issue that they'll be talking about, um, you know, over the past 30, 40 years. The United Methodist Church has been debating about that topic, and so in our Book of Discipline um, there is, you know, we, in the Book of Discipline, we're not allowed, currently we're not allowed to do any same-sex marriage ceremony, and we are not allowed to um, ordain any uh, practicing homosexuals, and so that's our Book of Discipline that's been that way for the longest time. And so, for the past 30, 40 years, there's always been debate on trying to change the language within our book of discipline. And, uh, you know, no matter how much we try to change, the, we try to, you know, vote to change that, it's always been disapproved. And so, um, the, the language has been kept, you know, all these years. And so, we did put together, the United Methodist Church did put together a special. General Conference last year in St. Louis to address this issue, um, but of course it stayed the same. <laughs> when they came together to vote, the vote passed to continue to keep the language in the book of discipline. And so, afterwards, um, many people, many of the leaders from both sides, uh, we call them, they call them the progressive side and the traditional side, they got together and uh, they discussed how, as to how we are going to be able to proceed with this topic since it's such a um, divisive issue for us and so uh, one of the things, one of the plans that they have come up with and they'll be discussing at the General Conference here in May and they'll be voting on it and that plan is to divide up the United Methodist Church. And so um, if that, that plan does pass we will have two United Methodist Church. One will be the Progressive United Methodist Church and then one will be the Traditional United Methodist Church. The progressive United Methodist Church will then go back and try to change that language again. And and so in the traditional church, the traditional United Methodist Church, they will continue with that language that's in the Book of Discipline. And so uh, if that plan passes, if that plan passes, uh, what's going to happen is that every pastor is going to have to choose a side. Every clergy is going to have to choose a side. Um, and then also every local church is going to have to choose a side. And so unfortunately, it's, it has to come down to that, you know. And I mean, I, I've always hoped that we can just somehow coexist together. But unfortunately, uh, many people feel that we're not able to coexist together over that topic. And so it's come down to that plan. And uh, most of the leaders um, from both sides have agreed to it. But um, it, Hasn't been p- passed yet. It hasn't been voted on yet. Uh, once it's been voted on, once it's been passed, uh, once all the details are worked out, I will discuss that with all of us. I will discuss that with our church. I'll let us know um, what the details are, what the exact plan are. But currently, right now, um, it's been agreed by the traditional Methodist Church, the traditional side, that they will be the ones to leave. Okay, and stay, so they will be the ones to leave, and then uh, for the churches here in the United States twenty five million dollars will be grant, granted to them as they leave. And then uh, for the global church, it's thirty nine million that's going to be granted, that's gonna be given to them uh, for leaving the United Methodist Church. And so the, the traditional ones, even though they've won the vote for the past forty years or so, um, they've decided that, you know, it's best for them to leave uh, the church. And so so they've agreed to that. And so, like I said, if that plan passed then we're gonna have to also decide where we're gonna go. And so Uh, As a pastor, um, my heart is heavy for a church because we have two different congregations. Um, We're unlike other churches where there's only Anglos. Uh, Typically, in the United Methodist Church, 70% of Anglos are on the progressive side. And about 25 to 30% are on the um, traditional side. And ethnic ministry is totally opposite. Ethnic ministry and, and, and ethnic ministry, we probably, we have more like 90% on the traditional side and more like 10% on the progressive side. And so um, even overseas, you know, overseas is the same thing. Is, you know, overseas, especially in different cultures and overseas, they, they're pretty much on the traditional side. So that's why they decided that it's best for them to leave. And so, um, so my heart is heavy for us, but um, I pray that God will be with us Pray that God will be with us throughout the transition, and uh, He will guide us, and we're, whichever direction that we may uh, choose to go, that God will bless us, and God will be with us, and, and help us continue within our ministry. And so, like I said, once the decision is made, uh, made I, I, would, I will um, talk more about it, more about the details. I I want to give us a little bit history of the, the theological formation here in the United States in American Christianity, okay? There is reason that this is happening. It's because it's something that's been happening in American Christianity for the last 200 years. And so um, it's something that doesn't affect the, the, the ethnic ministry as much because they, they are from a totally different culture so it doesn't really affect them as much. But in, in American Christianity itself, it's something that's been brewing for the past 200 years and so um, it's something that I, I'll share with not only our congregation here but also with the, congregation on the history of the theological formation here in this country and as to why we're here. And so that way, when we come to make the decision, um, you, we will be able to make the decision as, as, you know, the best decision for our church here. Okay. And so today I'm going to go back to talking about discipleship. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about winning. In other words, we talk about evangelizing people. That's something that we definitely need and that's something that we are often very weak in when it comes to, uh, when it comes here to our denomination is the issue of evangelism, bringing people to Jesus Christ. Well, we talked about that about two weeks ago. And now this week, we're going to talk about how are we going to build people up once we do bring them to the church? Once we do bring them to church, how do we build them up in the faith so that they will stay strong in the faith? And so I, got, I have two pictures here. One picture is a, hm, a Hmong, a house from Laos, right, so, and then the other pictures are these skyscrapers, I don't know exactly where they're, they're at, but I just found it on Google, so I just want to put it there. But the Hmong house, yeah, I asked the, I asked all the, you know, I've never built a Hmong house myself, and so I asked um, the elders this morning, I said, how many days does it take for you to build this Hmong house. And they say, you know, it's about three days, two to three days at the max, you know, <laughs> about two to three days at the max, and we have that Hmong house, and we can live in it. And I said, okay, well, two to three days, then how long does it last you? They said, maybe a year, <laughs> maybe a year or so, and then we have to build up a new one. And then I show them this picture of the, these skyscrapers, or these buildings here, and, so, and, they, and I said, how long, how, how long do you guys think it takes build these skyscrapers? And they say, we don't know, you know, maybe many, many years, right? But one of the things that I want to show us is that when we build something, something that is easy for us to build, something that is easy and that something that we build quickly, it often does not last very long, okay? And so that's why that mong house, it only takes us about two to three days to build, yet it does not last long. If we want to build something, that's lasting. We want to build something that is is that would that would last a long time. If we're gonna do that, it's going to take time. It's going to take time. And these skyscrapers, there are many times when we build I think houses here in the United States take at least about you know, close to a year to build, right? And these skyscrapers here can take many, many years to build. And the higher the building is, the the deeper we we have to dig up the foundation in order for us to build these buildings, to make them last. You know, this small house right here, if there was a storm that comes, it's not going to survive that storm, right? It's not going to survive that storm. But these buildings here, these buildings here, if a storm comes, they'll be able to survive. And so one of the things that we want to do in our church is we don't want to be building these simple things. We don't want to have these things that are not everlasting, that, 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 that are not foundational, that, these things that are easy. Are easy to build, but we want to have these things that will last. We want to build a church that will last. We want to build up our children here in this church that their faith will last, that no matter what kind of temptation that they may face, no matter what kind of challenges that they may face in their life, that their faith in Christianity will last. We don't want them to fall just because something comes up. And so we want to build these skyscrapers here in our church. We don't want to build these small, long houses, right? And so how do we do that? Well, there's a couple of things here that I want to um, share with us. So how, where do we start? The first thing is we want to start building by teaching them Bible knowledge. Now, one of the things about learning the Bible is that the first thing it must become is it must become intellectual knowledge. And so we must know about about the principles of the Scripture. We must know about the principles of the Bible. Okay, And once we know that, we have that intellectual knowledge of the Scriptures, then it must come into our heart. It must come into our heart, and that that is called heart knowledge. We have that heart knowledge of the Scriptures. It becomes a passion to us. It becomes part of who we are. It's no longer just intellectual knowledge, but now it's become part of who we are. And when it come, becomes a part of who we are, then we can take that and we can apply it to our lives. You see, if all we have is intellectual knowledge of the Bible, right, then we're, we, we won't be able to take that and apply it to our lives. Because it's just all head knowledge. But once it becomes a part of who we are, once it becomes heart knowledge, once it becomes our passion, once it becomes our desire, and that's when we can take it And we can really apply these principles in our lives. And the second thing that we want to make sure that we know is Bible memory. We want to have a system, a discipleship system, which we emphasize on memorizing Bible verses. Many times we don't memorize these things. And so when things come up, when issues come up, even issues for us to vote on, Right? We, we don't know what the Bible said about it. There are many times Bible memory, we see that when Jesus Christ was led to the desert, to the wilderness, to be tempted, the way that he defended himself against the temptation of Satan was by through Bible memory. He quoted the scripture. Every temptation that was given to him. He defended his position by quoting the Scripture, and so that's why it's important. It's very important for us to emphasize on Bible memory. I came here and I joined um, Jordan Crossing here, Jordan Crossing for a worship service, and they had this little part of the worship service which I found to be, so, to be to be good, to be very very good. And what they did was that they had people come up front to recite a chapter. That is in the scripture, right? So they, they have those people they, they, they'll, they'll assign a chapter for their congregation, and they'll go home and they'll study that, that, that chapter, and they'll try to memorize that chapter, and then when they come to church, they'll have to, re, they'll have to recite it without looking at anything. They'll, they'll just have to say it. You guys want to try that?, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's something that's good, and that's something that's positive for us. was that? Oh, short chapter, right? I think they were doing Romans chapter 14 when I came, you know, which, which is a pretty long chapter. So. But, you know, some of them were able to do it, which, which is great, you know. Bible memory is not one of my strengths. If, if you tell me to quote a Bible verse, I mean, I'll be able to quote it, but I don't always remember exactly where it's at. You know, one of the things is, I know this one guy, I know this one guy, he can quote the entire book of John, in an older Hmong guy. An you know, older Hmong guy. He's an elder in the church, in, in the Christian and missionary lives. But he's got the whole entire book of John memorized, and he can quote it for you. Yeah, yeah, the book of John. He's got a, you know, he's got everything memorized. Of course, he memorized in the Hmong language. But that's that's just something that we we have to we try to emphasize on. Is try to get us to remember these Bible verses, right? Bible memory. Another thing. The third thing is healthy relationships. We want to be able to build healthy relationships with our, the members of our church. The first thing is the personal one-on-one relationships, right? The personal relationships that you have in your life. Your relationship with your wife, your relationship with your husband, your relationship with your children, your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your friends, your relationship with other people in the community. And then the second thing about healthy relationship is then the relationship with, with the church. It's called a corporate relationship. How do we relate to the church? How is our relationship with the church? You know, many times we don't let the church hold us accountable, you know, nowadays. a A lot of times we don't allow other people to hold us accountable anymore, but it's all part of growing. It's all part of us growing. It's allowing other people, allowing the church to hold us accountable to certain things. Um, the Word of God teaches us that God disciplines us. In Hebrews it says that God disciplines us because he loves us, right? But many times we, we don't allow the church to to um, hold us accountable anymore. And that affects the way that we grow as Christians, you know? And so those are two things that when it comes to healthy relationship is personal one-on-one relationship and corporate, which is relationship with the church. And the fourth thing is worship. We want we want to teach about worship. We want our people to understand about the importance of worship. And we want to know exactly what worship is all about. You know, sometimes when we look at our Reformed fathers, we, we look at them and we study their writings. And many times when we think of our Reformed fathers and we say, they are too radical, right? They are too radical because during their time, many of them even felt that music should be banned from worship service. And of course, if we just look at it, if we, if we just look at the, 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 um, the shallow part of that, we'll say, you know, these guys are too radical. But then they had a point. Because they said that if we, we have music in the, in the church, if we don't ban music in the church, the music will eventually become the thing that we fight over. And 500 years later, what do we fight over? <laughs> music, right? And worship service, we fight over music all the time, the style of music and things like that. So that was the whole point of why they wanted to ban, you know, you, you know, music in the church. And I'm not advocating for us to ban it, but <laughs> I'm just saying that that was the position of many of the Reformation fathers. And, and so when we look at, at at the deep meaning of what they're doing, then they, they really had a point, is that they didn't want us to, to start fighting over music because they didn't want us to start idolizing music. They didn't want worship to start becoming about what kind of music we play in the church. And so they predicted, that they, they, were, they were smart, and you know, they're, they're a bunch of smart people, you know. And so they predicted that if, if we allow music in the church, that's going to be something we're going to start fighting over. And so that's what we do nowadays, right? But then one thing we want to do is we want to emphasize on, the, on what worship is all about. And we want to talk about prayer, devotional life, our spiritual, spiritual life. And then number six is the spirit fullness, the role of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing what our gifts are, being able to identify what our gifts are, understanding. You know, experiencing the Holy Spirit in our own lives. So those are six things that we want to build on. And so I broke them down. So this week we're going to to discuss about Bible knowledge and application. So by the time they're 12 years old, when it comes to Bible knowledge and application, what do we want them to understand here in our church? So I have a few things here. The first thing is we want them to understand that the Bible is God's absolute truth. It is God's absolute truth. Now the Bible, when it's, it's in Hmong, it literally translates as God's, word, uh, God's golden word, right? God's golden word. In the Hmong language, that that's what they call the Bible. And so we want, to underst- we want our people, our, we want our children, by the time they're 12 years old, is to understand that this is the role of the, the scripture in our lives as, as Christians. The second thing we want them to understand is we want them to know the, ma- the major stories of the Old Testament and the New Testament and know the main characters within the Old Testament and the New Testament. The next thing we want them to know is we want them to understand the basic Bible doctrines. Doctrines is just another word for teaching. Okay? And so I, I put a few um, basic Bible teachings here. We want them to know who God the Father is. We want them to know who Jesus the Son is. We want them to know who the Holy Spirit is, okay? We want them to know about sin, what sin is. We want them to know what salvation is all about. We want them to know about the teachings of the church or what is the church, right? We want to know about what is the church. The church is not about the building, but it's about the people, okay? A very basic uh, teaching about the church for us to understand what the church is we want them to understand about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, there's many different theologies, you know, when it comes to the second coming of, of Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, because, you know, figuring out prophetic, prophetic uh, scripture, in, it's, it's not the easiest thing for us to do. And so there's, there's many different theologies when it comes to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we want to be able to share with them these different theologies and why, why certain people will interpret the book of Revelation a certain way and things like that. And what is the foundation? What, what is it that form that, that, uh, that theology for them? Okay? And so we, um, the, the next thing is that we want them to learn the essentials for Christian growing. We want them to be able to do these things in their life. Prayer, right? We want to encourage them to be able to pray. We want to encourage them to pray to accept Jesus Christ in their life. We want to encourage them towards Bible reading, right? Every single night, Eli always comes up to his mom and says, Mom, why don't you read me the Bible, right? We want to be able to encourage our children to be able to do that to read the Bible. You know, we we don't read, we don't read, for for Eli, we don't read him, you know, other storybooks. We just read him the Bible, you know, before he goes to sleep. And so he's used to that. And so we want to encourage this with our kids, trying to get them reading the Bible. We want them to learn about forgiveness, okay, how to forgive each other, how to forgive, sometimes their parents, the brothers and sisters, you know, maybe uh, their friends at school, things of that sort, learn about forgiveness. We want them to learn about overcoming temptation, Okay how do we overcome temptation as, as children? You know um, we want th- to develop relationship fellowship and friendship among our children. if they come to church here they have a lot of friends here at church it makes them want to come to church more you know if, if, if they come to church they don't have any friends they don't have anybody here at church that, that will hang out with them that they'll enjoy they, they don't want to come to church and so that's one thing we want to do is encourage fellowship among all of our children, among our youth, among each other. So that they want to be here. You know, m- many of the ch- children, many of our monk children, they always look forward to coming here Friday nights because they get to come together and just, you know, about, you know, about five to ten of them, you know, and they just come together and we just watch. We don't do anything formal together, but we just kind of hang out with them. Just kind of hang out with them, and I just kind of sit down and just kind of talk to them here and there. I don't, uh, you know, I don't talk to them about too much stuff. I try to, I try to show them that I, that I'm interested in their YouTube channels and things like that, right? Even though I don't really know too much about their YouTube channels. (laughs) But I talk to them about that. And so those are just little things that we do with our children to get them to fellowship with one another. We want them to be able to, to share, by the time they're 12 years old, be able to share their own personal story as witnesses to their faith, okay? We want them to understand what faith is. We want them to understand the stewardship of time, money, and gifts. Very important thing. By the time they're 18, we want them to have confidence. We have, want them to have confidence in the Bible's reliability as God's revelation. Okay? There's many things that, there's many different you know, ways that people often view the scriptures nowadays. Some people, they view the scripture as simply just a bunch of stories, Right? just a bunch of stories, so, it doesn't really, so it's not really that important. right? While others view the, the Scripture as, as God's revelation of himself, God teaching us about who he is. And so we want our children to have that confidence that the Scripture is God's revelation. We want them to have an overview of our Old Testament and New Testament, be able to understand the purpose of each letter in the Bible. Why was this book written? Why was Colossians written? Why was First Corinthians written? Why, was, why did Matthew write his gospel a certain way, and why did John write his gospel a certain way? We want them to understand these things, because Matthew, Matthew, he was writing to a totally different audience. And his whole purpose, Matthew, his whole purpose was to write his letter to the Jewish people, to convince them that Jesus Christ was the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And so these things are things that we want them to understand by the time they get out of our program, by the time they go off to college, okay. John, John wanted us to know about the divinity of Jesus Christ. That's why we, in the scripture of John, and it starts from from the beginning, right, in the beginning. It quotes, it goes all the way back to Genesis, and it quotes, it says, in the beginning was the word. He's talking, John refers all the way back to creation, because his whole purpose was he wanted to share about the divinity of Jesus Christ with us, about who Christ is. He is the Son of God, that he is God himself. So we want them to understand some of these things. Why was Colossians written? Well, Colossians was written because of doctrinal or religious pluralism during their time, because they tried to mix all this religion into their church. And Paul was rebuking them, saying, Jesus is enough. Okay, Jesus is enough. You don't need any other religion, right? So we understand these things. Why was 1 Corinthians written? 1 Corinthians was written because the church its a new church that was being very divisive, fighting over each other, right? And Paul was telling them, don't be divisive. Don't, 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 don't go after human leaders, but go after Jesus Christ. That you're not here, you're not here as part of the church because of Paul. You're not here as part of the church because of Peter. But you're here as part of the church because of Jesus Christ. And that's the one you need to focus on. Because, because they, they started becoming little cliques within the church, right? They started becoming little cliques, you know. One person says, I followed Paul. The other says, I follow Peter. Another says, I follow Apollos. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't be divisive. Yeah, just follow Jesus Christ. We're just human just like you, right? We're human just like you, so just follow Jesus Christ. So his whole point is about that. So we want our children to understand these things. I mean, we, by the time they leave, you know, off to college, by the time they're 18 years old. We want them to recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay, recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ. Be obedient to, to Jesus Christ. We want them to understand the concept of the Spirit-filled life, and that we want them to be experiencing the Spirit-filled life. A life that John Wesley says, the perfection of a, of a Christian, the sanctification of a Christian. It is the continual growth. Of us, moving us closer and closer to becoming like Jesus Christ himself. Okay, so that's the perfection. John Wesley refers it to perfection, to to his doctrine of perfection. In in general Christianity we call it sanctification, just sanctifying us, purifying us, moving us closer and closer to becoming like Jesus Christ. And so that's what we need to to ask ourselves every single year as Christians. Examine ourselves, Paul says, examine yourself to make sure that you are in the faith. Examine yourself to make sure, in other words, examine yourself to make sure that you are growing in the faith. Are you growing every single year? If not, do something about it. Right? Do something about it. Bible knowledge, by the time, they, by the time they're 19 or, or older, we want them to comprehend that the Bible is the authority, has authority as the true Word of God. We want them to continue to actively participate in Bible learning experience. We we don't want them to leave our church, go off to college, and never study the Bible anymore. We want to be able to instill within each and every single one of them how important it is to continue to learn about the scriptures, to continue to learn about God. Now, even though they go off to college, they can go and join a Christian club within their college. Shisha talked to me about joining a a Christian club when she was still going to to, um, Chico State. And she was so excited about that, right? She was so excited about um, joining a Christian club. Unfortunately, she was the only one that was, that was willing to do it. Many of our other youth, many of our other young people, they, they weren't willing to do it. But we want to be able to do that. We want to be able to give them the passion. It's still within their heart the importance of continually learning about the Bible, okay? Another thing is that they're able to apply the scriptures, to bl- apply Bible truth to every area of their life, whether it comes down to their personal life, their family life, their work life, their church life and outside, you know, just the general marketplaces, the general community. We want them to be able to apply these truths to them. And so that's that's um, my lesson for this week is about Bible knowledge and application. And so next week we'll go into Bible memory. How what do we want our children to to accomplish, what do we want our church members to accomplish when it comes to Bible memory? Okay.